I uh, hope you don't mind a personal note uh, before I uh, judge and condemn you all in a homily. Uh, but uh, before Mass, I was blessed to bump into one of my former students. He's somewhere over there, uh, uh, Justin. And Justin, the student whose name we were trying to remember is Ben. You're welcome. Uh, he was a student at Lansing Catholic, and uh, he's here with his beloved, and uh, they're going to be married uh, soon, and I'm just so proud of him uh, for a lot of reasons. One of them is his jump shot in high school was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but anyway, uh, today's gospel, uh, Father Lay and I probably spent more time trying to work out this homily than we have on any since he, the poor man moved in with me. Uh, and, and a big part of it is, it's just different than any of Jesus' other contacts with people. And usually, and when, when something like this happens, when Jesus does something, frankly, odd, uh, you've always got those theologians who have Jesus figured out, right? Uh, and it, it makes a wreck. Because ultimately, what we want to remember is the God we worship is beyond our comprehension, right? That what we do know, oh, that's plenty. He's desperately in love with us. He wants to get us home to heaven. He has saved us from our sin. He has filled us with the Holy Spirit. I could go on and on and on. But when it comes to an interaction like this, it's hard to figure out. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with doing what St. Augustine did, one of the greatest brains God ever made. St. Augustine said, there comes this point where you're kind of looking at God and God is looking at you and all you can do is say, my Lord and my God, I'm not you. I don't think like you. I don't love like you. Now a good priest would stop the homily there. I'm average, uh, so we're going to keep going. We start off, and Jesus is in a region of Tyre and Sidon, and a woman comes to him, and immediately what people in this age knew was this was Jesus' enemy. The Jews were not just uncomfortable with these folks. And these folks, it's not just they were uncomfortable with each other. This had been 2,000 years of war, of, uh, my brain just lost the word, but bad things, yeah, that's the Greek or something like that, uh, atrocities, betrayals. These are two groups of people that define hatred in a way truly our culture can't understand, praise the Lord, yeah. So Jesus does, she does something unexpected she attempts to talk to Jesus. It says she cried out, have pity on me, Lord, son of David. She's acknowledging, I know you're not my tribe. I know you're also my master, Lord Adonai, or Domini, what Domini, it depends on which language she was using. It's really a powerful thing because when it says cried out, it's using a word I've talked to you about before, krazo, which is a Greek word for a shrill, piercing sound like a crow makes. 
It's an awful, unpleasant sound. And the disciples' response is, the classic response of those people during this day, yeah, shut up. Yeah, send her away. That's a loud, piercing cry, like a crow makes, and it's being made by a people we hate. Go away. But here's the thing. Right before this, the disciples are on a boat with Jesus and he's asleep, right? God takes naps. Okay, anyway, they're on a boat. I just, I just think that's such a great message, right? Uh, they're on this boat, there's a storm and they're freaked out and Jesus doesn't wake, wake up. So what do they do? It says they crossed. These dudes made a shrill, piercing sound like a crow makes. And Jesus' response isn't knock it off. His response is to tell them, oh, don't be afraid. And then he calms the storm. They were just shown mercy for being, for crazoing, for lack of a better phrase, and nothing ticks them off more than someone else making that sound. You and I may or may not be comfortable with our own need, but we darn well better learn to be comfortable with other people's need. We who crazo should be good to others when they crazo, huh? Jesus ignores her, and that freaks me out. It absolutely freaks me out. This is the only person he ignores. And it says it just made her cry out louder. She was not about to quit. And then they have this dialogue. And Jesus says something objectively awful. I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Jews. I'm here for the chosen. And she says what? Hey man, dogs under the table, they get scraps that fall. And Jesus loves it. Oh woman, how great is your faith. And he heals her daughter from a distance. There's a lot here. But in the end, what I want to suggest to us is a couple things. One, that we remember to not be like the disciples. And they're the ones who wrote this, right? Again, if you or I would have wrote it, we would have been like, well, the other disciples were jerks, but I was amazing, yeah? (laughs) Years later, they're like, nope, we blew it. Every chance we had to get it right, we got it wrong. I love that about our disciples. You're going to get it wrong some days. I'm going to get it wrong probably in five, within five minutes. This is our life as broken people. But we're still called. And what will reach out to people is not us saying, you know, I've got it together. You can join me and we can have it together together. Which is a clever thing. Or we can say, hey, I'm broken too. I hurt too. I get a lot wrong, but there's one thing I'm going to get right. I'm going to cling to him. We will do more good in the world with that attitude than with anything else. No program can teach us that. No correct theology can bring that to us. The 
only thing that can bring that to us is our recognition. Oh, you're crazoing? I crazo too. You're broken? I'm broken too. And I'm still called, and so are you. You know when the disciples crazoed? Do you know what Jesus said to them? This is just a few verses before this story. Oh man, you had such little faith. What does he say to this gal? Oh woman, great is your faith. We express our faith not through making up feelings, but by sheer tenacity in our prayer. Just Tuesday, I was driving in my car from A to B, and the entire drive, I was calling out to the Lord to heal someone who I've been praying for for 12 years. I'm going to be candid. I'm sick of it. I wish he'd get after it. But I'm not God. And I don't know what God knows, so all I can do is be relentless in my prayer. And there are more times than not I struggle to feel like God's going to do this. I can't help that. I can't help how I feel. All I can do is choose to keep pushing in prayer. And that's the example she gives us. The example our disciples give us are, yep, I'm a wreck. I get a lot wrong, but I'm still called. And I'm going to stick to Jesus like glue. And the example this beautiful enemy of Jesus gives us is, you want to see faith? I will humiliate myself before someone who I think hates me. And I'm just not going to give up till I get what I'm calling for. So those are our examples today, guys. And I pray we take them. I pray we are relentless in our prayers. That even when our feelings say, give up, this isn't doing anything. We keep going. We push and we push. There is no thing too small for our God. And how do we deal with our disappointment in God? Those times where we don't get what we want? Trust. The same faith that compels us to push is the faith that says, I trust you. I don't like what you're doing, but I'll take it because I know you love me more than I love anything. So let's do that, huh? Let's imitate the humility of the disciples who a few years later when telling the story of God over and over tell us, yep, I got this wrong, I got that wrong. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to go and die. And we were like, what does that mean? Yeah. We ran away from him when he needed us most. Oh, and that guy over there, yeah, he denied him three times. He's in charge now. Yeah. And let's also, in our prayer, be relentless and trusting and have great faith in this God who we do not understand, but what we do understand is more than enough for us. He is love and he is in love with me. Amen? Amen. Okay.